Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, friends, these are strange times. Who would have thought six months ago that this is where we would be? We're about six and actually seven and a half weeks into the quarantine phase of this pandemic here in California, at least. And one of the things I've been reading about is quarantine fatigue. Uh, I've been reading several articles, and one article was an interview with a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. She's been holed up in her apartment in New York since early March, and she's been by herself. And she says that she said, if I don't get hugged soon, I'm going to go bananas. I read another article by a researcher who's been studying this phenomenon and in a, in, a, in a statement of just tremendous understatement. He says, it seems collectively we're getting a little tired of quarantine. Now, I don't think he had to analyze much data to, to come to that conclusion. But all the articles I, I've been reading have really been focused on the public health side of quarantine fatigue, and that's very real. But I, I want to kind of maybe pivot and just explore for a moment the quarantine fatigue that I believe that many are experiencing at a deeper level. Um, Just so, for example, I've observed that many people in this time are experiencing a sense of disorientation. And it makes sense, right, because our our rhythms of life have, have been thrown off, our spiritual rhythms have been thrown off, our rhythms of community and connection have been thrown off. I had a friend share with me last week. He's like, I don't even know what day it is anymore. And, and perhaps you can relate. And I know many people are experiencing a sense of exhaustion or maybe discouragement, many depression. Uh, and, and so there's a danger we face amongst all these things that we can maybe just kind of lose focus and, and maybe we get distracted, maybe we get apathetic, or maybe we're just discouraged. But the concern I, I have is that somehow through all these things that that the quarantine fatigue can settle in at a deeper level such that it's kind of like we somehow get off the path that we're called to be on as followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I really um, think this is important for us to think about. And and so what we're going to do today is we're going to be talking about uh, the virtue of perseverance because I believe that in this time, one of the virtues that God really wants to form in us is the virtue of, of perseverance. Last week, we began a new series called Formed, and and each week we're looking at a different virtue or character trait that we believe that God wants to form in us in this time, both so that we can flourish, but also so that we can actually be prepared for the next season that God has for us. And the good news, friends, is that there will be a season after this one. Hallelujah. There is going to be another season after this one. We don't know how long this one's going to last. But, but we can rejoice in, in, in that fact. But uh, again, we're in a new series, and, and we're talking today about perseverance. But let me ask you, have you ever run a race? Like, you know, something of considerable distance. So when I was, I think it was in high school several years ago, my cousin Max and I, we signed up for a race in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It was called the Mountain Goat Run, and it was uphill and downhill. It was on paved road. It was on dirt road, beautiful scenery, redwood trees, and the start of the race was glorious. We sprinted out of the gate, and we were in first place. It was amazing, and that lasted for about half a mile <laughs> until we almost collapsed, and, and we, we, we actually did finish the race, 
barely, but I just share that to say it is easy, it is so easy to start well, but it is much more difficult to finish well. It's much more difficult to persevere. And so to help us learn how we can become the kinds of people who persevere, we're looking at this famous passage of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the book of Hebrews is written to a Christian community, probably in the city of Rome, that is spiritually fatigued. And they're just so beaten down with difficulties and and trials and troubles and and suffering that many of them are faltering. Many of them are tempted to just kind of throw in the towel and, and give up. And so the book of Hebrews is written to this community to encourage them and to equip them to persevere amidst the difficulties of life. And really the main point of the passage we're looking at and the main point of this book is the call to persevere. The call to persevere. And so that's what uh, we're going to begin by looking at today. We're going to look at this call and then we're going to pack four things that will help us to actually live that out. Okay, so let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the second half of the verse. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And friends, that is the call. And really everything else in this passage is really intended to support that one main point. And so let me just break this down. So, so there are two key words here. And, and the first is the word run. Run the race set before you. That means don't so, slow down. That means don't get distracted. Don't meander. Run as though you're in a race and as though everything depended upon it. And so the first thing this means that this is a call for intentionality in, in, our, in our lives. This is a call for intentionality in our following uh, of Jesus. Now, there's God's part in the Christian journey. There, there's our part in that. But what we see here is, is that we are called to, to be actively engaged in our following of Jesus. We're called to run after him, not be on autopilot, to not drift, but to run after Jesus. Now, there's another word here, and it's the word perseverance. It says run with perseverance. And so what does that mean? Well, to persevere is to endure in spite of opposition. And we all face opposition in life, and there are all kinds of of opposition that we can encounter. But the Greek word that's translated here as perseverance is the word hupomone. And if you were to break it down in sort of a literalistic sort of way, it means to hyperstand. It means to hyperstand still. It means to not budge. And I think a temptation that we can face in in times like these when we have stress and difficulties over an extended period of time, the temptation is to retreat, to retreat from the things you would normally do. So for example, you retreat from prayer, uh, you you get tempted to retreat from community, to retreat from helping others, to maybe retreat from a life of generosity, retreat from reading the Bible. But you see, that's the temptation amidst suffering to retreat from things that we know are actually best for us. And, but the call to persevere actually means that that is the worst thing that we could do. I, I came across an illustration by an old thinker, a guy named John Owen. He was a 17th century Christian leader and, and thinker, and, and apparently he was someone who sailed a lot. And he observed that if you're sailing and a big storm comes up, he says, if you get to the wheel and, and you hold it steady, and if you hold the rudder steady, you will actually get to your destination faster than if the storm never came, 
Isn't that interesting? But he also points out that if you were to instead, just to kind of go below deck when the storm comes and just to be passive and to let the wheel go wherever it wants, that actually you will never get to your destination. And so when storms come up in, in our, our lives, there are really two options. They can either propel you closer to your destination or they can take you so far off track. And it all depends on whether you hold that rudder steady. And so what this means for us is, is really the key to perseverance is to keep our lives pointed in the right direction and then to just stick with it, to, to resolve to keep at it. My freshman year in high school, I, I played water polo, and it's not because I was a good swimmer. Actually, I was a horrible swimmer, but my best friends were playing water polo, so I thought, okay, I want to hang out with them, so I'll, I'll play water polo too. And so I tried out for the team, and, and our coach, he was a great guy, but he was, he was old school. He played water polo at Cal Berkeley back in the day, and, and he was just hardcore, so we had all kinds of conditioning and it was, frankly, it was, it was brutal. Uh, but because I was not a great swimmer, typically I was one of the last guys to finish my laps. There was a couple other guys and we would always be battling to not be last uh, in, in our laps. And, and it was hard for me, but I resolved that I wasn't going to quit. I was just going to keep going just one stroke after another. But what's interesting is that there were actually guys who tried out for the team who were much better swimmers than I was, but it's like they, they quit. They just, they just dropped out. It was just like, it was, it was too hard for them. And, and so even though I wasn't a great swimmer and I started slow, because I persevered, because I refused to give up, I actually went much farther in my brief, admittedly brief, water polo career than several others and actually became the starting goalie for a while my freshman year. But I, I just share that to give you kind of an image of what perseverance looks like. It's just like one stroke after the other, and the, again, this race metaphor, just one foot in front of the other, just not stopping, just you keep going. And friends, my prayer for you is, is that you would be someone who walks with Jesus for a lifetime. And our, our heart's desire as a church, we want to help introduce as many people as we can to Jesus, to help people know and love and follow Jesus. And we want to help people walk with Jesus for a lifetime. So if you're new, you're, you're checking out our church, that is really our heartbeat. We want to help people know and love and follow Jesus for a lifetime. And we invite you with us on that journey. But we see here that, that the call to persevere, that's really the central call of this passage. And what this means is that we are called to run after Jesus, to stick with Him even when the storms of life come our way, to keep going, to hold the rudder firm. But here, here's the question. What do we need to really to live that out? Because willpower, intention, we need that. But if you've lived enough life, you're probably aware that that's just not enough. And we need more to really help us stick with it for the long haul. And so what do we need to become the kinds of people who can persevere? So there are four things we see in this text that I want to highlight for you. And here's the first, is that we actually need a realistic view of life. We need a realistic view of life, and that's actually what this passage gives us. So let, let's take a look. Again, Hebrews 12, we're told that life is like a race. In verse 1, it says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we're told that life is like a race, and this calls to image, calls to mind rather the image of marathons that were probably, for example, in the Olympic Games in the ancient world, or maybe a pentathlon. So, so, so what can we draw from this? What does this tell us about the nature of life. Well, what this tells us 
is that life is actually a difficult journey. That life is a difficult journey. Now, interestingly, the, the Greek word that's translated here as race is the word agon, from which we get our word agony. And uh, this can be translated as race. It can also be translated as struggle or wrestling match. But what this tells us is, is that life is actually a difficult journey. And I think this is really important for us to grasp because, in a sense, expectations are everything. And as I reflect on my own life and the moments I've had struggles with my faith, almost always a crucial part of that was that I was running on mistaken or false assumptions about actually the nature of life. And when then my, my experience collided with that, then I found myself in turmoil. So for example, if you assume that, you know, if I'm faithful to God, if I honor God with my life, then I'm not going to go through any real significant suffering in my life. But then you go through some horrendous suffering, well, well guess what's going to happen? Your faith will struggle, your faith will falter. And so it's just really important that we have a realistic view of life informed by the author of life. And what we see here is that life is, it's a difficult journey. And so we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. We shouldn't be surprised by challenges. Actually, we should expect them. And after all, Jesus himself said in in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So life is difficult, but let's talk for a moment just briefly about how life is also a a journey. So what does it mean to say that life is a journey? Well, what this means is that this is a long-haul reality. Again, the image uh, to have in mind is, is a marathon, and therefore that means we need patience, that means that we need endurance, and that we can expect that, that the challenges faced aren't all going to be over quickly. And so to persevere, we need this framework for understanding life. And, and that is just so important that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And I don't know about you, but I'm really good at starting things. I, I, like, I'm so good at starting a diet. I'm so good at starting a, an exercise plan. I'm really good about starting a new Bible study plan. That keeping that up is another matter entirely. But what this image of a marathon indicates is that, that what matters most is not how you start, but how you finish. What matters most for your life before God is not how you start the race, but how you finish. And so I'm just wondering how you're doing. I wish I know. I just I just wish I could catch up with with people in our congregation. But I just wonder how you're doing right now. And perhaps like me, you, you may have had just a, an amazing experience with God when you were younger, maybe when you're in college. But really, the question that this text presents us with is: How are we doing with God now? Are, are we following Him? Are we running the race? Are we persevering? So the first thing we need is a realistic view of life. So, so important. But what else do we need? Well, the second thing that we need is, is actually encouragement. We need encouragement in this journey. And, and, and the, the encouragement we get in this text is very specific. And so at first, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, you're supposed to ask, What's it there for? Because the word therefore is what's called the conclusion indicator. In other words, it's telling us that I'm about to give you the conclusion to a whole line of thought. And so that means that we need to look what came before this. And what became before this statement is is chapter 11. And in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, the author is recounting the faith and and the endurance of of a whole host of of heroes of the faith. People like Abraham and and Abel and and Noah and, and Sarah and 
Moses and many others. And it says here, though, that, that they serve for us as witnesses. Now, now what does that mean to say that, that they are witnesses? Well, the word witness can mean two things, right? And so, so one thing that witness can mean is, is to watch something, to uh, observe something. So let's say, you might say, uh, you know, I witnessed an auto accident. You saw it happen. But another thing the word witness can mean is to tell, to give a testimony. So, for example, when you're a witness in a court of law. So one possible meaning here is that these heroes of the faith who have gone before us, they haven't simply disappeared, but they're like gathered at the finish line. They're watching us from heaven. They're cheering us on. And so that's one possible meaning. But I think the primary meaning is actually the second sense. In other words, that those who have gone before us, the faithful who have gone before us, have gathered, as it were, along the marathon route to really to encourage us, but specifically through the testimony of their lives. You know, saying, you know, by faith, I finished the race. Therefore, you can too. You can trust God. He is faithful. He will see you. He will see you through. Run the race with perseverance. And so one of the things that helps us in this race is the encouragement of those who have gone before us. And, and that's why one of the things I love to do when I get time is to read biographies of, of the heroes of the faith who have gone before us. I find that so encouraging to my faith, and I actually recommend that to you. But another thing you might want to do, is just to think, just kind of very practically, is to think who in your life has been a witness to you? Whether that's someone who's still alive or maybe who's someone who's, who's passed away, but who in your life, by the example of their life, has been a witness to you. By God's grace, I've been blessed with many amazing people in my life throughout the years. And one who, who comes to mind as I think about perseverance is, is my grandpa Elwood. And he exemplified perseverance more than anyone else uh, I've ever met. He went through many uh, trials in his life. But the greatest was at the end of his life, he went through a, a very difficult uh, trial with Parkinson's with dementia. And what was so amazing, though, is that although he suffered greatly, I never once heard him complain. He was kind. He was patient. He was gentle. He wasn't bitter. He was long-suffering. And he was just so anchored in his faith in Jesus Christ that he was able to persevere through that with just tremendous dignity and poise and really, the quality of his character was so amazing amidst his suffering that actually there are people who worked at the care facility where he spent his final, final years who came to faith because of the testimony of his life. And so when I think upon his life, it just encourages me. I think, yeah, that is the kind of person I want to be. I want to be a person with just rock-solid character, with just, just unflagging trust in God, and perseverance. I, I want to not just start well, I want to finish this thing well. And so I just encourage you maybe to take some time this week to think, who are those people in your life who you can look to and say, yeah, that person is a testimony to me. Their life is a testimony to me. So, so the second thing we need is encouragement. We need encouragement, but specifically from the lives of others. And, and the emphasis here is on those who've gone before us. So we need a, a realistic view of life, we need encouragement. But the third thing we need is to unload. Now, now, what does that mean? Well, let's take a look at verse 1 again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily 
entangle. So, so just imagine with me, you're running a marathon and suddenly it's like you come to this realization, like, wait a second, I've still got my school backpack on. I've got six really heavy textbooks in my backpack. Oh my goodness. In that moment, what do you do? Well, you, you throw it off, right? I mean, who, who would, in a marathon, would be wanting to carry excess weight, unnecessary weight? And, and that might seem like a silly illustration. I don't know. But the reality is that we can go through life like that. We can be in the race of faith and be carrying around excess baggage that only slows us down. And specifically, two kinds of, of baggage that we read about in, in this passage that, that we need to throw off or that we need to unload. The first, it says everything that hinders. Now note, it doesn't say, you know, those things that hinder that, you know, that, that you don't care about that much. No, everything that hinders. But secondly, the sin that so easily entangles. And so the author of Hebrews is drawing a really helpful distinction here between hindrances on the one hand and sin on the other. And what this means is that there could be things in your life that aren't sin, but could actually be a problem for you, that could actually be a hindrance to your following of Jesus. And this is such a helpful distinction. I remember when I was a young man and I, and I first started following Jesus, uh, really the only question I would ask is I was trying to figure out how to live my life. And maybe as I was thinking about some you know, questionable activity in my life, the only question that was on my radar was, is it sin? But the problem with that approach is that what that assumes is that the goal of Christianity is simply to avoid sin. But friends, the goal of the Christian life is so much bigger, is so much better, so much more beautiful because the goal is actually to draw closer to Jesus, to grow in a relationship with Him and actually through it to become more and more like Him. And therefore, the question isn't simply, is this a sin? The question as we think about our lives is, will this help me with my goal of following Jesus? Will this help me with my goal of becoming more like Jesus Christ? And the author of Hebrews is saying that if something is actually going to hinder and short-circuit that process, then you just need to throw it off. You need to unload it. And that applies to hindrances, things, again, that might not be a hindrance. It's something that in and of itself, it's fine. And for some people, it might be fine. But for me, if it's a hindrance for me, it means it's slowing me down. But so there are hindrances, but also there is sin. And, and you might wonder, well, what's, what's the problem with sin? Well, what it talks about here is that sin easily entangles. And what's so tricky about sin is that it promises life, it promises freedom, but at the end of the day, it will only trip you up. And if you just let it hang out in your life, it will actually become a form of bondage and constriction that will just actually just choke the life out of you. And therefore, we are being told to throw these things off because we are in a race. And so, if you're, again, if you're carrying a backpack full of weights or you've got ropes tied around your leg, the only thing that makes sense is to throw them off, to unload. Now, before moving on, I, I just want to point out that we are in, in a moment where I think we are actually especially vulnerable to temptation as a culture. So I got an email from one of our bishops in our kind of family of churches this week summarizing a conference call he was on with California Governor Gavin Newsom. He had a conference call with faith leaders, and I read a transcript, and on the call was the California Surgeon General, and she took some time to discuss the impact that prolonged stress is having on people. And, and, and she talked about how, how prolonged stress leads to overproduction of stress hormones. And this 
can lead to things like anxiety, it can lead to sleeplessness, it can lead to altered mood, it can lead to higher blood pressure, body aches, various things. But then she went on to talk about how when your physical and emotional resources are depleted like that, people are especially vulnerable to unhealthy coping mechanisms. Things like substance abuse, things like pornography, and, and all the statistics I've, I've been reading indicate that those consumption of those things are just off the charts right now. And so I think it's important that we are aware of this, that, that those things might be a, bring a sense of temporary relief to the stress we're facing, but really at the end of the day, they only trip us up. And, and so the third thing we're being told is that we need to unload. We need to just to throw those things off because what, what Jesus has for us is actually is, is life and, and those things are actually not life. And what he wants is his life and life to the full. But just before we move on, I, I just wanna ask you, this might be a question for you to reflect on today or sometime this week, but the question is what is tripping you up in this season? What is slowing you down in your following of Jesus? And whatever that is, you might just want to kind of journal with that question with God, but whatever that is, the invitation is just to throw that off so that you can experience the life that Jesus has for you. So we've seen, friends, that we need a realistic view of life, that in order to persevere, we also need encouragement, and we also need just just to throw off, to unload those things that slow us down. But the final thing I want to mention today is that we also need to focus our vision we need to focus our vision. So if you're playing a sport or if you're, you're running, if your vision is messed up, of course, that is a really big problem. So it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, verse two, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So, so what does that mean? Well, to, to fix your eyes on something is to, to, to set your gaze on something and then to keep it there. It's not to just take an occasional glance, it's actually to really fix your gaze on something, to focus on it. It's, 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 it's calling us to sustain focus. And what we are being told here is that if we are going to run this race well, if we are going to persevere, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, to keep our focus on Him. Now why? Well, because of who He is. It says here, He is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. In other words, he is the one who ran the race before us, and he pioneered the way, and he ran the course to successful completion. He won the victor's crown, and so we fix our eyes on him, first of all, because he shows us what perfect faith looks like, his perfect trust uh, in the Father we see on display, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, or when he was on the cross. He was the perfecter, and he is the perfecter of faith. But we also fix on our eyes on him because he is also our destination. He's both the means by which we run and he's also the reason that we run. He's the one to whom we run. He's both the how and the why of this journey. He's both the one we run to and the one we run for. And therefore, we fix our eyes on him. Now, that's an inescapable uh, a fact of human life that you will fix your eyes on something. And so the invitation is to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you where you're driving somewhere. Let's say you're returning home from a meeting and somehow it's like you get lost in thought. Your, your focus just turns to somewhere else. And then all of a sudden you realize, wait a second, I missed my turn. I missed my exit. I'm like, I'm like in another city. 
And uh, I've had that happen many times, uh, many times. But you see, when you're focused, when you focus on the wrong thing, you can end up in the wrong place. When you focus on the wrong thing, you can end up in the wrong place. And therefore, we are being called to focus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not again, not to just occasionally glance at him, but to keep our gaze, our eyes on him, to keep our hearts focused on him, not to focus on our shortcomings, on our sins, not to focus on our problems, but to focus on him and his victory, which he accomplished through his life, his death, and his resurrection. I'll just, I'll close just by sharing just one more thing. I don't know if you ever watched the show Friday Night Lights. It's an older TV show. I think that was the early 2000s. Uh, for me, it's one of the best TV shows there, there, there ever was, my humble opinion. Uh, and, and it's ostensibly about football, high school football in a small town in, in Texas. But actually, it's not about that at all. It's about life, really. It's just about human life. But one of the main characters is a guy named Coach Taylor, Eric Taylor. And he coaches the local high school football team. And before a big game, there's something that he says to prepare them for the challenge they're about to face. Again, they're about to go into really a struggle, a battle, a competition. And so as they gather in the locker room before the game, he says, he says this, this phrase, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And then the team responds, saying clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And what this speaks of is the importance of having clear vision, of having right focus. And of course, there's a spiritual parallel in this because we are being told here, if we have clear eyes, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, if we have hearts that are full, that are full of the Holy Spirit and of His hope and His peace and His joy, then we cannot lose. And now it doesn't mean we won't experience suffering or hardship in our lives. But what this means is that if we keep our eyes fixed on Him, who is the author and perfecter of faith, if we walk in His footsteps, we can't lose. Why? Because He has already won. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He is the victorious one, and especially in the season of Easter, we remember that Jesus is the one who overcame. And so what this means is no, no matter what challenge we face, we can experience victory through Him. And so, friends, what we've seen is that we are called to persevere through the difficulties, through the challenges of life. And in order to do that, we need four things. We need a realistic view of life. We need encouragement. We need to unload those things that weigh us down. And finally, we need to focus our vision on Jesus Christ. And as, as we close, I just want to leave you with a question. And it's this. Just, just think about this with me. What do you want to be true of you after this season is over? I think that's a really important question. What do you want to be true of you after this season is over? And I got thinking this past week about Jesus, that he actually went through a time of quarantine. Now, for him, it was self-imposed quarantine. He, he went into the wilderness. Actually, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. He was tempted, but he was alone. He was isolated. He was hungry. If it was me, I would have been hangry. <laughs> but here's what's so amazing. Do you know what it says about him? as he came out of that season of quarantine. Do you know what it says about him? In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it, it says Jesus returned to Galilee. Again, after he's been in quarantine, he's been in this kind of lockdown, he's been fasting, a challenging time. It says Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Don't you just love that? That, in other words, he came out of that time empowered. He came out of that time even more 
prepared for the plans that the Father had for him. And I don't know about you, but that is what I want. I want to come out of this time closer to Jesus. I want to come out of this time more empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to come out of this time looking more like my Savior, Jesus Christ. And friends, that is the invitation. But the way we receive that is by persevering, by running the race. And so friends, here's the invitation. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a gracious God. And even though we slip, we stumble, we fall, we get distracted, we, uh, we lose sight, God, of you, that you come to us in our weakness and that you're the one who pursues us. And we thank you that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of ourselves, not a result of works, lest no man should boast. We thank you, God, that you're the one who saved us. But I just pray, God, for your encouragement for everyone listening right now, God, that you would give us the grace, those who maybe have wandered off the path, that you would just woo their hearts and that you would give them the grace to get back on the path of following you. For God, for those who are tempted to give up, would you fill them with your hope? Would you surround them with your comfort, with your love? God, would you give them the strength to persevere? And for all of us, Lord, would you give us the grace to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author the pioneer and perfecter of faith, God. And for anyone listening now who doesn't know you, I just pray your blessing upon them, that you draw them near, that you, they would know that you love them right where they are and, and that you would draw them close, God. But Lord, we offer you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.